Ludlow should remain standing. "'About that money, Mr. Melmott?' "'What money, my dear fellow? You see that a good many money matters pass through my hands. The thousand pounds I gave you for shares? If you don't mind, and as the shares seem to be a bother, I'll take the money back.' "'It was only the other day you had two hundred pounds,' said Melmott, showing that he could apply his memory to small transactions when he pleased. "'Exactly. And you might as well let me have the eight hundred pounds.' "'I've ordered the shares. Gave the order to my broker the other day.' "'Then I'd better take the shares,' said Sir Felix, feeling that it might very probably be that day fortnight before he could start for New York. "'Could I get them, Mr. Melmott?' "'My dear fellow, I really think you hardly calculate the value of my time "'when you come to me about such an affair as this.' "'I'd like to have the money or the shares,' said Sir Felix, "'who was not specially averse to quarrelling with Mr. Melmott, "'now that he had resolved upon taking that gentleman's daughter to New York "'in direct opposition to his written promise. "'Their quarrel would be so thoroughly internecine when the departure should be discovered "'that any present anger could hardly increase its bitterness.' What Felix thought of now was simply his money, and the best means of getting it out of Melmott's hands. "'You're a spendthrift,' said Melmott, apparently relenting, "'and I'm afraid a gambler. I suppose I must give you two hundred pounds more on account.' Sir Felix could not resist the touch of ready money, and consented to take the sum offered. As he pocketed the cheque, he asked for the name of the brokers who were employed to buy the shares— but here Melmott demurred. "'No, my friend,' said Melmott, "'you are only entitled to shares for six hundred pounds now. I will see that the thing is put right.' So Sir Felix departed with two hundred pounds only. Marie had said that she could get two hundred pounds. Perhaps if he bestirred himself, and wrote to some of Miles's big relations, he could obtain payment of a part of that gentleman's debt to him. Sir Felix, going down the stairs in Abchurch Lane, met Paul Montague coming up. Carberry, on the spur of the moment, thought that he would take a rise, as he called it, out of Montague. "'What's this I hear about a lady at Islington?' he asked. "'Who has told you anything about a lady at Islington?' "'A little bird. There are always little birds about, telling of ladies. I'm told that I'm to congratulate you on your coming marriage.' "'Then you've been told an infernal falsehood,' said Montague, passing on. He paused a moment, and added, "'I don't know who can have told you, but if you hear it again, I'll trouble you to contradict it.' As he was waiting in Melmott's outer room, while the Duke's nephew went in to see whether it was the great man's pleasure to see him, he remembered whence Carberry must have heard tidings of Mrs. Hurdle. Of course the rumour had come through Ruby Ruggles. Miles Grendall brought out word that the great man would see Mr. Montague, but he added a caution— "'He's awfully full of work just now. You won't forget that, will you?' Montague assured the Duke's nephew that he would be concise, and was shown in. "'I should not have troubled you,' said Paul, "'only that I understood that I was to see you before the board met.' "'Exactly, of course. It was quite necessary. Only you see I'm a little busy. If this damned dinner were over, I shouldn't mind. It's a deal easier to make a treaty with an emperor than to give him a dinner. I can tell you that.' "'Well, let me see. Oh, I was proposing that you should go out to Pekin? To Mexico. Yes, yes, to Mexico. I've so many things running in my head. 
"'Well, if you'll say when you're ready to start, we'll draw up something of instructions. "'You'd know better, however, than we can tell you what to do. "'You'll see Fisker, of course. You and Fisker will manage it. "'The chief thing will be a check for the expenses, eh? "'We must get that passed at the next board.' "'Mr. Melmot had been so quick that Montague had been unable to interrupt him. "'There need be no trouble about that, Mr. Melmot, "'as I have made up my mind that it would not be fit that I should go.' "'Oh, indeed?' There had been a shade of doubt on Montague's mind, till the tone in which Melmot had spoken of the embassy grated on his ears. The reference to the expenses disgusted him altogether. No, even did I see my way to do any good in America, my duties here would not be compatible with the undertaking. I don't see that at all. What duties have you got here? What good are you doing the company? If you do stay, I hope you'll be unanimous, that's all. Or perhaps you intend to go out. "'If that's it, I'll look to your money. I think I told you that before.' "'That, Mr. Melmot, is what I should prefer.' "'Very well, very well. I'll arrange it. Sorry to lose you, that's all. Miles, isn't Mr. Goldshiner waiting to see me?' "'You're a little too quick, Mr. Melmot,' said Paul. "'A man with my business on his hands is bound to be quick, sir.' "'But I must be precise. I cannot tell you as a fact that I shall withdraw from the board.' till I receive the advice of a friend with whom I am consulting. I hardly yet know what my duty may be. I'll tell you, sir, what cannot be your duty. It cannot be your duty to make known out of that boardroom any of the affairs of the company which you have learned in that boardroom. It cannot be your duty to divulge the circumstances of the company, or any differences which may exist between directors of the company, to any gentleman who is a stranger to the company. It cannot be your duty." "'Thank you, Mr. Melmot. On matters such as that, I think that I can see my own way. I have been in fault in coming to the board without understanding what duties I should have to perform.' "'Very much in fault, I should say,' replied Melmot, whose arrogance in the midst of his inflated glory was overcoming him. "'But in reference to what I may or may not say to any friend, or how far I should be restricted by the scruples of a gentleman, I do not want advice from you.' "'Very well, very well. I can't ask you to stay, because a partner from the house of Todd, Regard, and Goldshiner is waiting to see me, about matters which are rather more important than this of yours.' Montague had said what he had to say, and departed. On the following day, three-quarters of an hour before the meeting of the board of directors, old Mr. Longstaff called in Abchurch Lane. He was received very civilly by Miles Grendall, and asked to sit down. Mr. Melmot quite expected him, and would walk with him over to the offices of the railway, and introduce him to the board. Mr. Longstaff, with some shyness, intimated his desire to have a few moments' conversation with the chairman before the board met. Fearing his son, especially fearing Squirkham, he had made up his mind to suggest that the little matter about Pickering Park should be settled. Miles assured him that the opportunity should be given him, but that at the present moment the chief secretary of the Russian legation was with Mr. Melmot. Either the chief secretary was very tedious with his business, or else other big men must have come in, for Mr. Longstaff was not relieved till he was summoned to walk off to the board five minutes after the hour at which the board should have met. He thought that he could explain his views in the street, but on the stairs they were joined by Mr. Cohenloop, and in three minutes they were in the board-room. 
Mr. Longstaff was then presented, and took the chair opposite to Miles Grendall. Montague was not there, but had sent a letter to the secretary, explaining that for reasons with which the chairman was acquainted, he should absent himself from the present meeting. "'All right,' said Melmotte. "'I know all about it. Go on. I'm not sure but that Mr. Montague's retirement from among us may be an advantage. He could not be made to understand that unanimity in such an enterprise as this is essential.' I am confident that the new director whom I have had the pleasure of introducing to you to-day will not sin in the same direction. Then Mr. Melmot bowed and smiled very sweetly on Mr. Longstaff. Mr. Longstaff was astonished to find how soon the business was done, and how very little he had been called on to do. Miles Grendall had read something out of a book which he had been unable to follow. Then the chairman had read some figures— Mr. Cohenloop had declared that their prosperity was unprecedented, and the board was over. When Mr. Longstaff explained to Miles Grendall that he still wished to speak to Mr. Melmot, Miles explained to him that the chairman had been obliged to run off to a meeting of gentlemen connected with the interior of Africa, which was now being held at the Cannon Street Hotel. End of chapter 45